My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. Forgotten. So, so this week we read the Forgotten. The Forgotten. Yeah. So what happened in it, Greg? Okay, this is all fresh <laughs> in my mind because I finished the book ten minutes ago. That this, is an overestimate. Honest <laughs> of takes. Uh, this book was crazy, and I did not guess correctly what the plot of it would be, even a little bit. Weird. I so know. Predictable. What did you predict? I have forgotten. I think I thought there were going to be the forgotten were going to be a group of yurks. Oh yeah, Yeah. inaccurate, not true. Uh, Who were the forgotten? (laughs) As with so many of these book titles, I think it's that the events were forgotten. Right. Yeah. The day was forgotten by everyone except Jake. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So what happened in the book? Oh, well, let's come back to that. (laughs) All right. So it starts with a normal day at school. Jake is square dancing. And he's also having some crazy hallucinations about being in the jungle somehow. Then Tobias has found something weird at the local Safeway. So they decide to go check it out while in Fly Morph. And Jake has one of his hallucinations. Turns out there's a crashed bug fighter in the Safeway. And they make the decision to steal it and, like, park it on the White House lawn. These are 13-year-olds. And you can tell sometimes. <laughs> the, the roof of the White House, I think it was. Uh, ah, yeah. yes. So they steal the bug fighter, outrun the Air Force, and battle Visser III's <laughs> blade ship. They crash, and Jake wakes up in the jungle. And it turns out that when they crossed the streams of the Dracon beams, they were thrown backwards in time via a Sario rip, which I will be calling a Mario rip for comedy's <laughs> sake throughout this podcast. It will be very funny every time. Thank you. Uh, they fight their way through the jungle. It is consistently horrible, and I hate every minute of it. Uh, they make friends with a group of indigenous hunters who help them battle Visser 3. Jake kills him and then wakes up back in the parking lot of the Safeway before they went in to take a look at the bug fighter. And it turns out all of that didn't happen. Or maybe it did, and then he died and got snapped back to before they left. It's very unclear how any of this works. Um, I mean, I think your second take was that was that was what the book says. Yeah. So. I just don't, again, know how any of this works. So that is what happens, we'll and it's it. nutty. Does it work? Let's find out. <laughs> Today uh, on Animorphology. Bananas. Yeah, so, so you didn't like it. Yeah, it's not so much that I didn't like it. I was enthralled by it. The action uh-huh. sequence at the end, I was very into. I thought it was... Nice. I didn't want to put it down because I wanted to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. It's just that, as often is the case, I do not understand what is going on for mm-hmm. wide stretches of this book. Mm-hmm. And then there is a whole sequence in the jungle that's just so body horror awful. Yeah. It's true. That I It's amazing. Hated it. <laughs> hated Isn't it. Is this the worst thing that's happened in an Animorphs book? It might be. It it's it might top, be the most body horror thing. Yeah, it's top yeah. 3 for sure. I want to know what the involve, other two are. Does it involve morphing? It does not. The morphs are bad. There are bad morphs in this. Bones yeah. dissolve. But do you want to describe what happens? <laughs> 
So one of the things that happens... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're starting here, incidentally. This is a good yeah. place to start. Listen, many things happen that are very bad. But one of the terrible things is that when they... Um, they get into a they, fight. They get into a fight. Lots of hork Because the hork and Visser 3 are also in the jungle. And so Jake decides that he and Rachel are going to go back and... Um, fight against the hork and let the other ones get away. So Rachel morphs a grizzly bear and the then um, and Jake morphs into a tiger. They get into the fight and in the fight, first of all Jake gets bitten by a poisonous snake and then he uh, morphs out of that and it turns out that you're fine if you're poisoned in one form because you can morph away from the poison. Which is weird and seems like it shouldn't be how it works. But Definitely. Yeah. Well, we I mean, should. You, he morphed out of the like cockroach nerve gas. Exactly. Yeah, but he was so much different. bigger than a cockroach. Yeah. Like, you're not going to die from a cockroach sized dose of nerve gas in right. a human form. But, like, if you don't lose, like, clothing and stuff, I don't know. It seems like maybe... And, like, the venom, we already had snake bite in book eight, right? Mm-hmm. And this are three bailed instead of morphing. But he also, like, the, he had enemies right there. Right. Whereas right, right, Jake right. had mm-hmm. time to morph. Like, if yeah. he had tried morphing right then, he might have been vulnerable while he was doing it. Yeah. It does seem to be <clears> consistent <throat> that, in, for the most part, with the exception of amnesia, if you get injured in one form or mm-hmm. poisoned in one form, it does not transfer over either to the morph or back to your human body. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're being consistent about that. Again, yeah, amnesia yeah, yeah. being a notable exception. It's real bad. Okay, but then Rachel Ooh. is in the grizzly bear morph. She is unconscious and bleeding. She's got a three hork on her own. She did because she's a badass. Mm -hmm. Her fur was alive, alive with a million ants that were already ripping away a million tiny bites from her wounded flesh. So there is an entire sequence in which Rachel, as a grizzly bear, is unconscious, and there are ants eating her alive. They are on her ears and swarming across her closed eyes. They're then, so what they do is they find another colony of ants because they know that the different colonies will fight each other. And that is true. But in the meantime, ants swarmed back out of Rachel's ears and mouth ready for the battle. It's so terrible, you guys. It's so Jake gross. Has to lure the other ants by pulling out tufts, like bloody tufts of bear fur, and like making a trail of breadcrumbs for them. Yeah. And yeah. then Rachel luckily regains consciousness, mm-hmm. realizes what's happening, and then demorphs. Note, still covered in ants. Yes. They conveniently run to a river. Uh-huh. And jump into it. The ants wash away, mm-hmm. and then they are almost attacked by flesh-eating piranhas. Yeah. Yep. I want to read Rachel's thing after. It's sort of the, this is one point of a nice rainforest arc that happens. <laughs> this is the rainforest, Rachel demanded angrily, spitting water and combing through her hair for any remaining ants. This is the rainforest everyone wants to save. Ants and piranha and snakes and bugs the size of rats. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they can burn it down, pave it over, and put up malls and convenience stores. That's I was very with her in that moment. I mean, mm-hmm. not really, but like viscerally, yes. And they go through this whole like journey of coming to appreciate the rainforest, mostly by getting the right morphs and, yeah, not almost dying. Yes. Uh, it is not this part, but when they first land, that I have a note that says there were spiders and snakes. It's a beetle that was like long. Yes. 
uh, and I have a note that just says, good God, the jungle is terrifying. I'm never leaving my comfortable city. <laughs> I'm not an outdoor person. This was You can awful. save it. You don't have to go to it. It's different I, things. I will pay other people to go there. That's fine. It is the, the whole ant scene Some with Rachel. Some people want to go there. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. I do not. This whole, the whole ant scene was just, the, it was the worst. It was so awful. And I think it oh. really got to me, like, where they were, like, getting into her eyes. Yes. Yeah. It's oh, really, 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 it's really bad. bad. It's really bad. What about, so there were nicer bits about the rainforest earlier and later. Did you come around at all? No. <laughs> the monkey thing was so fun. That whole sequence where they're swinging through the trees is just Yeah, so even satisfying. at the very beginning when Jake is trying to reunite with the others and he just like stumbles into a clearing and he sees that because oh, yeah. the sun comes there, it's like all the plant life is kind of clustered around. And then at the end when they become jaguars and they can see in the night mm-hmm. and it like comes alive and he's like, it's better than the mall at Christmas or whatever. <laughs> I wish he had made exactly that comparison. I don't think he did, but he that is great. Does. No, he, he Although, says something about it. The oh, yeah, comparison like... he makes is that it would be as if these indigenous people whom we have met came to a mall at Christmas time. <laughs> and I thought that was a little uh, iffy at best. <laughs> Yeah, he was trying to draw a parallel of, like, they would be amazed at the wonder of the things humans have created, and we're amazed at nature. Which, like, is a little patronizing, maybe. Sure. Not necessarily inaccurate, but a little patronizing (laughs) is my thing. It was as if Polo and his people had been transported to a shopping mall at Christmas time. It's the line. (laughs) It's just all... I mean, I understand that they have fun in the monkey morph, and that's Mm -hmm. very cool. Um, It becomes very useful later on when he fights against Visser 3. Visser 3 has morphed into a new kind of alien. Let's call it a Lurdathak, possibly, yeah. um, which is this sort of vine creature from the Horkbajir homeworld. And what he dis- what he realizes is that he can use the vine tentacles of this alien in his monkey morph to like get through to the center of the of the animal and then stab it with a poison spear from one of mm-hmm. his indigenous hunter friends and that all works very well and it was great that they had it i did really appreciate that at one point in the middle of that sequence this is just one of those really wonderful um applegate wants to teach you about animals mm-hmm. moment did you know that one of the reasons humans can oh, throw yeah is because we once swung through the trees. Yep, the shoulder design that makes it possible to swing from branch to branch makes it possible to throw a spear. There were definitely things from this that like I took away as like I know these things about the rainforest and I remember like still now like when Cassie's like okay so it's south or central America it's not Africa because I've seen monkeys with prehensile tails I'm pretty sure I learned the word prehensile maybe I already knew it I was 13 who knows but the fact that like monkeys with prehensile tails only the like new world not the old world kind of thing and also the like the verb brachiating is that how you say it like I think I don't Breakating. Okay, I don't know that I've seen it in other. I'm sure I've seen it in other contexts, but like that, I learned from this. Yeah, like, yeah. And I love that whole discussion. Was a great Kay Applegate like 
it's written in the style of the like moral quandaries or whatever where they give a little bit of a scientific explanation where they're like <laughs> oh yeah so you know or jake's kind of like yeah swinging through the trees it feels so familiar you know like is it part of my instincts as part of evolution <laughs> and, and cassie kind of talks about evolutionary biology or whatever and then jake's like or maybe it just reminds me of swinging on the monkey bars at the jungle gym <laughs> and then, she's like sure if you want the easy obvious explanation right right and they have a cute moment and then they move on i thought it was great and it's so fun with those things because you're like I know this thing. I'm like an insider. I have like secret inside information from this book that I love like desperately and secretly. And also, so you won't know where I have this information from. But like, I have secret information about the world. And that just like is a really fun way of learning. Yeah, it's a great set of trivia in this about the jungle and about evolutionary biology and poison. And I love that Cassie's such a nerd about it. But then also at one point they, they start like quizzing her. And she's like, what? I didn't read everything about the rainforest. Get off my back. <laughs> That's a nice, like, yeah, okay, Cassie's not just going to be a font of animal information. They're going to be kind of realistic about it. Right. So I wanted to read out the parallel moment to when Rachel gives up in the rainforest. So at the end, they become Mm -hmm. jaguars, and then suddenly they can see, you know, they can see everything at night, and it's all amazing. And then um, he says, every time I thought, well, I've seen it all, the rainforest would answer, kid, you haven't seen anything. Take a look at this bird. Take a look at that flower. Get a load of this creature. Little human boy, I have more to show you than you could see in ten lifetimes. Okay, Rachel said, breaking the silence at last. I take it back. I don't want to pave over the rainforest. I don't care if it's dangerous and deadly and it's trying to kill us. You have an amazing planet, Axe said. Amazing. Mm. Thanks, Axe. Shame we're destroying it. Should maybe work on that. (laughs) I did like that line. It was very good. And there's also a great section where... The Hork-Bajir are rampaging through the jungle, um, and the ostensible purpose is that they should be looking for animals that don't belong in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Those will obviously be the Andalite bandits. They can then kill the Andalite bandits. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, this goes very poorly, and instead the Hork-Bajir just start shooting things oh, at random. No. This upset me so much. Yeah. Tree branches fell away like someone was trimming a rosebush. Monkeys were destroyed. Birds in the trees were destroyed. A sloth and its baby hanging from a branch were destroyed. Right in the heart. How could you do that to us? It's just so harsh. Um, So they're killing everything. And it's really terrible. I was really with Jake. Like I felt like he really gave voice to everything I was thinking there. He says, I know there's a difference between human life and the lives of other animals. I mean, I guess there is. And I definitely know there's a difference between human life and the lives of trees, but still, that mindless, pointless massacre of trees and the animals in them made me sick. Really good balancing, like, okay, maybe this isn't as bad as it would be if it were people, but it still really, like, gets yeah. you. Really bad. And it's, it's sort of, they don't, they don't draw this parallel, but by the skunk rules they established a couple books ago, like, yeah. they're also kind of responsible yeah. for it, right? Mm-hmm. They're taking on the bodies of the monkeys, and then when they see the monkeys sort of colluding, they're like, oh, kill all the monkeys, right? Yeah. Um, so they're, yeah, extra, they're extra responsible for causing all this destruction. There are so. a lot of, like, different moral weights dropping on them. And, I mean, yeah. we'll talk and, about Jake's leadership. But. Right, and there's even a bit, a little bit earlier before that. So I think this is the first time in the books that I remember when Jake knocks down one of the hork and he's like bleeding on the ground he says i took a moment to like yeah. feel bad about the the host body right you know yeah. he's gone from like filthy slugs nasty snake monsters to like oh i don't feel great about this and it was only you know in his last book he was like flush all the yurks kill the yeah. yurk doctor or whatever 
it's nice that like I feel like it could go in the other direction where they get they're like really upset about it at first and they get desensitized and it's kind of nice that it's like at first they don't see the nuance and they start to see it more and more which unfortunately means it gets harder and harder for them but it also lets them sort of preserve their humanity is a very specific word one of them is not human but you know right their but emotional integrity I also I like the flip side of that which is so they they like ally with the indigenous people that they meet and like they have this whole scene where they can't really communicate i really like what that scene does thematically which is like they're kind of on the same side right Mm -hmm. they they just realize the rainforest is being destroyed and even at the end they're like obviously this is like an evil alien monster and so Mm -hmm. they're just going to show up and fight even without any kind of like context for what's going on so despite all the nuances the animorphs are still kind of fighting for this greater cause, right? So yeah. it, it's kind of like uh, holding up both sides of that question. We've talked recently about the hork and as innocent bystanders in this fight, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that Jake is finally calling that out mm-hmm. in a way that he really hasn't in the past, and I think that's just important because I, I'm sure we'll get to it more, but one of the moral quandaries about war is this kind of who dies and how and how you fight is important. And I think he's wrestling with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's so tough specifically in this war because they can't fight, they can almost never fight the Yerks in their natural state. And when they can, it's not even a battle situation because the Yerks are slugs and there's no way to have a battle that doesn't involve innocent bystanders. Yeah. Another line that jumped out to me about the rainforest was when, I think this is like the, sort of the first time around, Jake is like, I can't even describe it. You'd have to be a poet, a scientist, and a mm. horror writer, which I'm not sure that I've ever heard that like framing for a rainforest before, but there's something about <laughs> it that's kind of perfect. It also is very reflective of these books, which yeah. combine all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it have any science in it? <laughs> Yes, there's real-time travel science in this, which I think we should talk about. I mean, there's a lot of biology, but yes, (laughs) by all means, let's talk about time travel. Ted and I didn't really give our opinions on this book. I I like it. It's not... I think some other books maybe have more in them. This isn't, like, the most densely packed book, but I like it. I thought it was fun. I kind of like the time travel stuff. I, maybe it's because I've read it a bunch of times. I didn't find it confusing. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about that, Ted? The messiness of the time travel still manages to annoy me. <laughs> in terms of overall in the book, I like this book. It's not my favorite. It's actually probably pretty low on the list in terms of these these early books. I feel like there are a lot of There's a lot of competition. And I think I like the sort of rainforesty bits of it. The time travel and Jake's leadership theme, which we haven't really gotten into yet, is also interesting. But Mm -hmm. for once, those are like two totally separate things. And it's not like the book's layering theme on top of plot, like over and over and over again. And so like, it's a little bit um, diffuse in a way some of these books, some of these books have managed to not be so far. I'm a sucker for time travel stories, though. So I'm going (laughs) to enjoy talking about it, even if it doesn't make sense. So let's talk about how the time travel works. So it's a Sario rip. Yeah. So this is a thing that Andalites know about. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, Jenny, but it's just so obvious. If you were paying <laughs> oh, attention, my apologies. Not See, that day by in class, the big game later. There was a there was a game. There was a girl. It was the very females. distracting. Yeah. 
I really enjoyed that aspect of Axe's personality. We'd kind of seen it before. Definitely not in Ravenclaw. Just saying. Yeah, so the time travel, just to sort of lay it out. That afternoon, around, I think it was like 1 o'clock, 1.22 was like maybe the time that he traveled back to. Jake starts having hallucinations of being in the jungle. They keep going on. At 8.19, 8.19 at night, he like has this weird like feeling like, I feel like, like deja vu or something. He's like, it's when he's about to make the decision to go in the grocery store. 8.54, the ships shoot at each other, creates this huge explosion. They get sent back in time to 1.22 p.m. approximately in the rainforest. So then Jake starts having flashes of himself, square dancing, etc. And the idea here is that he went back in time, but then at 8.19, he died. 8.19, sort of the second time around, he died. His he, Two of him existed. His consciousness snapped back together. He went back into the, the body of Jake, who was about to decide, you know, should I go into the grocery store? His consciousness is merged. He's like, nope, we're not going to the grocery store. He averts the whole thing. None of it ever actually happens. If he hadn't done that, the idea is that if you get to 8.54, you're sort of outside, like until 8.54, the time when the Sario Rip happened, you're sort of within the effect of the Sario Rip, and it's okay that there are two of you, but if 8.54 hits, there are two of you, you're no longer protected, both of you could just get destroyed by like the laws of the universe. Right. So <laughs> I think everything you said is correct. Okay. But... I'm not convinced. <laughs> so here's the thing about this being in two places at, at once mm-hmm. thing. There are a couple things. So Axe like slowly reveals all of this stuff to Jake as it's going on. And mm-hmm. he doesn't tell Jake before he dies that maybe killing him will have this like snapback effect. Yeah. It's only Axe later in the future who like kind of it's explains. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't have told you because for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. But the thing that is most weird is that... Cassie points out Jake is the only one having these memories or mm-hmm. these flashes. Mm-hmm. And so Axe says, well, that's weird. Maybe you're the only one who's real, Jake. Yeah. Right? Which, <laughs> you know, implies that, you know, that this kind of like deterministic time travel or it's some kind of other thing or like it's like something that Jake is just imagining and this didn't actually happen because how could any version of Axe know that Jake is the one who's going to die and snap back if that hasn't happened yet. Well, because he's the one having the he's the one having the visions. So that's so it's like, like it's like a deterministic indicator. type thing. Well right? yeah, because like, that is it is weird. Like if it never happened, why do the visions still happen for Jake? Yeah. Because it does seem like Jake was able to change it so it didn't happen. I guess because he's the one whose conscious consciousness snapped back like he somehow kept the memories. Right. And like if Rachel had died, how would things have been different? Would he have gone on, you know? Well, that wasn't interesting. I mean, this is sort of the leadership thing, but like he he had the power to be like, "Nope, we're not doing this." And I guess everyone was just like, "Okay, we'll go home." Like do you think if Rachel had done this, would they have listened to her? It was Rachel. If Rachel says not to do something, they probably would listen. I just That's mean, unusual enough. There's no there are plenty of counterfactual situations where a different Animorph died, mm-hmm. and yet they didn't also have visions keeping those possibilities alive. Unless, like, all of the Animorphs oh. were having flashes, and then when Jake was the one who died first, time got rewritten so that nobody had but flashes Jake anymore. But Jake sort of already had died because he'd already lived through 819 once. The, the thing is <laughs> about this is 
so there are sort of two two possibilities that I uh-huh. think I understand. The first is that they are actually each group of the Animorphs is living through this timeline, mm-hmm. and Jake is the only one who kind of remembers the simultaneous timeline. Correct. Because he has his flashbacks. Mm-hmm. The other option is that it's just Jake and everyone else is a memory. But we're going to take that as not true because that seems to be not what actually happens. It seems to be Jake remembers it because he's the one that snaps them back, or for whatever reason, he remembers it. But the thing about it is that they, from 819, they go back to 122. And during the period of time between 122 p.m. and 819 p.m., there mm-hmm. are two groups of Animorphs. Yes living simultaneously through this timeline. One group is at school and then going to Safeway, mm-hmm. and the other group is in the jungle fighting for their lives. The problem is that Axe suggests it is not until 819, which is the time at which the rip occurs. No, the rip occurs at 854. Or Right. Okay. 819 is when his consciousness snaps back. Okay. So we're okay until we get back to the time when the rip occurred. At that time, the rip will end, and we'll have an impossible situation. Two identical groups of people existing in two places at one time. My problem is this. You already have that. Hmm. So I guess what's happening is there's sort of this defined period of time that you're calling the whole thing is this, again, for comedy's sake, Mario rip. (laughs) And you have all of that time where... The laws of time travel do not apply. Mm-hmm. Anything goes. It's um, all good. Now that you're spelling it out like that, I think it's this magical consciousness link thing, right? So during the effect of the Sario rip, you have these like shared memories, and if one of you dies, the other one kind of gets both sets or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I think the idea is that when the Sario rip effect ends, then your consciousness can no longer do that, straddle the two things, and that's why you... I feel like it's more like the Sario Rip is like a wound in space-time. Mm-hmm. And as part of this wound, you have these two sets of people uh, who sort of fell through this rip. And when when it reaches 854, that's like when the wound gets healed. Like that's when everything comes back together. And that's when all of the impossibilities gets, get reconciled. And so like the two sets of people just go, get wiped out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I don't really know the mechanism but, behind right, that. Right, but like but. if... If that has ever happened, how would you even know about it if the Whoa. people get wiped out, right? Oh, that's interesting. How did Andalites know this? Yeah. So well, maybe I they think, maybe they made right. records while it was happening. So what I'm I think what I'm getting out of this is that this must be Jane like you were saying, this must be purely deterministic time travel based on the Sari Europe thing. So it's always been the case that at 122 a second group of animorphs appeared and it's always been the case that at 819 um, Jake, uh, Jungle Jake dies. Mm-hmm. So, the only thing that kind of makes sense for how the the rest of the book happens is that at eight nineteen their consciousnesses merge, and we just get the narration of his whole second set of memories that he just acquired in the like order that kind of makes sense for the book, right? But like, it's no, but that's not what happened the first time, like. No, so at eight nineteen it splits, and he just has like two sets of memories. He remembers but he, two things. But he he lived through the time from eight nineteen to eight fifty four twice, and the first time he didn't have both sets of memories, and the second time he did. Hmm. So and then also, I mean, deterministic is a confusing term to apply to it because right. he makes a different choice the second time and averts the time travel. Right. So. 
didn't always happen, now it actually hasn't ever happened. So I, again, just coming back to a couple of the things Okay. in this. So uh, at the end, Jake, everything is fixed. And they don't go into the Safeway and this whole second time travel thing doesn't happen. But Jake remembers it. And he's talking to Axe, who kind of, in theory, knows a little bit about Mario Rips. And so they had two ideas. Axe told Jake that the only way to undo it was to recreate the Mario Rip by presumably recrossing the Dracon beams. Mm -hmm. But there's one other way, Axe says. No one knows for sure, but there is a theory. It is impossible for one person to be in two places at once, in theory. So if you eliminate one of the two, the consciousness snaps back together. I think what happened is that you died. Oh, wait. That actually makes a lot of sense in terms of how the Andalites know about it. This part is just a theory because if one person, if the consciousness snaps back, then the time travel gets averted. Only that one person ever knows. It's hard to verify. If it doesn't snap back, then all of a sudden two sets of people disappear. There are probably other people who witness that. There are like people who are like, yeah, they said they traveled back in time. Like, that actually makes a lot of sense, that the Andalites would understand the one effect but not the other. But if you snap back, is the time travel always averted? Couldn't Ooh, he have just gone along not. with the ride? Like, if he, had, if he had made the same choice, could he have, like, rewritten the plot of this book and then died? And, like, as long <laughs> as he keeps killing himself before that... Could he, like, make it, like, a Groundhog's Day thing where he can oh, keep reliving wow. the whole Sario rip yeah, until he gets the he best outcome? Dies. Right. Oh, man. Or, like, if he goes back... If he goes back into the jungle and Visser 3 finds out that they're humans and then he kills Visser 3, then does Visser 3 snap back and he can just go kill all the Animorphs before this even happens? Oh, right? Like, no. it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Okay, so he really missed an opportunity to live out his own Groundhog Day slash Edge of Tomorrow moment. Uh, but, like, what would be the best outcome? Like, I feel like him averting it is the best outcome. Like you said, he can't kill Visser 3. Visser 3 will snap back and know the future and stuff. Right. I am coming around to an idea that I recently dismissed. Okay. Which is that the other Animorphs are memories and not actually there. Yeah, it's like they they are there, but then they cease to have been there. Yes. Yes. Oh, so that's like Back to the Future style. Almost. <laughs> like the timeline always exists in the Saria Rib, but then once Jake has died and made the decision, they start to like get wibbly-wobbly <laughs> and fade away. Yeah, he remembers them being there but they actually weren't there. Right. So the be- this is still the best possible outcome. That doesn't change the outcome mm-hmm. decision, but I, I I think that might be kind of That's kind of like, and like what if your consciousnesses, which are linked, then kind of get like split off, but the ones that are in like this other timeline are like, you know, a little more aware of what's going on. And because Jake is the one who died, he's the only one who remembers, and therefore yeah. the only one who has these flashbacks or forwards. Right. So he, he did kill Visser 3 almost the same time, so what if Visser 3 <gasps> also remembers? Ah. <laughs> so I guess, spoiler alert, that doesn't happen. So that would be a really interesting though. twist. Though. Are you sure it didn't happen? Well, we'll have to revisit it. But I Okay, because I don't know that it didn't happen. I assume that... The Jake, he goes from jaguar to human to monkey right next to Visser 3, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be a p- pretty big giveaway. Uh, I think I don't think Visser 3 saw him as human, though. 
It was very dark. Unclear how well uh, does the what Ludefic good see? eyes. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that that has to be correct because I feel like it doesn't really get prevented until like 8.54. And so if the Visser dies, he... Hmm, no, because I feel like the Animorphs wouldn't have survived the next like 40 minutes. Right. Hmm. I'm, I don't know. Maybe... Okay, maybe the Visser doesn't remember. Well, even if he did... Yeah, I mean, he was getting poisoned, so Jake might have died slightly beforehand. Yeah. I was thinking that, like, any time he died before 8.54, his consciousness would still snap back together. But maybe that is not true. And so we're talking about Saria rips, but this isn't the first time travel that we've seen in the Animorphs. So my other question for you <laughs> is if Rachel had died in Book 7 in the fake future, would her consciousness have snapped to evil Rachel in that moment? Or vice no. versa? Um, or... Is it Saria Rip different from LMS time travel, and we shouldn't even be opening these questions? I'm going to say the Saria Rip is probably different from the Elemists time travel. There's also a question of, like, to what extent is Rachel, like, eight or ten years later, still the same person? I mean, within, you know, half a day, you can say they're mostly the same person. But, like, ten years later, like, every atom in her body is going to change, basically. You know, it's the, like, Theseus's ship paradox, where... Is she still the same person? She still has the well, same DNA mostly, but if her you Her consciousness her... is connected through time, so... Oh, yeah, true. I have one other complaint about the time travel, which is that Jake has flashbacks in both directions that are not chronological, which does not make sense to me, because he flashes to the monkeys first, and then he flashes to the spear getting thrown at him, and that is not the order Wait, of events really? that happens when they're in the jungle later. So he's not flashing to the analogous experience of his Jake counterpart. He's just flashing to like a random moment of foreshadowing. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Are no. you sure? Yeah. I'm very annoyed by this now. Other things that don't make <laughs> sense actually is that wherever they were in uh, the rainforest, they were not in the same time zone. So I don't really understand <laughs> Axe's ability to pinpoint the time of day. I and have, have questions about that. They with... could be. They could. I don't be, think but so. It's, but it's um, Brazilian Amazon is minus four UTC, okay. so. And they're in like California, right? Right. Yeah. Well, but I did want. I did wonder. Axe knows exactly what time it is. He doesn't know what day or year. So does he have some ability to pinpoint? Like it's, it must be based on the rotation of the Earth. It must be based on the rotation of the Earth because it's not like too, continuous so chronology magnetism. within. It's not like a, like you know he can tell from the decaying of his cells or whatever. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. Positional, mm-hmm. but like 122 is extremely precise for positional. Like, that's impressive. Well, it also leads to more information a little bit about why he's so specific about five of your minutes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because he right? can tell. Because if it's positional, it's a different kind of minute than he is used yeah. to from whatever Excellent. his former position. This can... did lead to the question, which we should have asked in book one, and has never occurred to me before. Why the heck are two hours precisely? Like, why is that a time unit that makes sense in Andalite chronology? Maybe they have a different <laughs> rotation. But, like, why, like, two hours in Morph, does it, is it a, just a coincidence that it is cleanly two hours of Earth time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is it not one hour and 57 minutes and 43.8 seconds? It's because like, I'd have to write that out every time. That would be a annoying. Space. 
<laughs> Actually, it's probably a little over two hours, and Elfango rounded down, and that's why oh. they always get out of it just in the nick of time. Oh my, this makes so much sense. Great point. Okay, well now we can like erase all the concerns about the fuzziness. It's that it is actually a little more than two hours. This is good to know. Um, yeah. Speaking of time senses, I am incredibly impressed with Cassie, who somehow manages... Yeah. In the middle of a space battle, stealing a bug oh, fighter, so crashing in the jungle, recognizing, so she's in the space, in the spaceship, they're fighting, all of this crazy stuff is happening, and Cassie looks up and says, hold on, <laughs> first the sun was rising in the Middle East, and therefore, but now it's broad daylight, we must be in a different time. And she thinks of all of this, despite the fact that they have just gone through this crazy experience. They've been spun around and thrown into a jungle. Basically out blinded of... by light. Yeah. And yet. and yet she has the presence of mind to consider in that moment. Like, why is it daylight in the Western Hemisphere? Right. Very bizarre and very impressive. Well done. Yeah, she's she's really attuned to the Earth. It was really great. And I also love, good. after that bit where Rachel and Axe are like, the rainforest is amazing. I love it. Cassie's mm-hmm. like... Come on, let's do the mission. Yeah. We gotta finish this. And Jake is like teasing her a little bit, like, aren't you the one who loves the rainforest most of all? And she's like, Yes, that's why we have to win. Yeah. Like, it's really great. Giving her purpose. Yeah. Should we talk about uh, Jake's leadership? Let's do it. He had some he had some issues in this book, which is interesting. We haven't really seen that from him. Right. Well like, he did, he wasn't the leader in six for the second half, that's right? True. He gets taken out of commission. He had like he had some qualms about his leadership with regard to Tom, like making decisions about mm-hmm. Tom. And that was also really his thing in the first book. And this is the first book we've seen from him where Tom was not a focus, like he comes into it a little bit, but that Tom isn't the main issue. And right. so we start seeing other issues, which are being a leader of the Animorphs is hard and getting harder. Mm-hmm. Which is something we've talked about that, you know, he's been forced into this position and in some way, it seems as though each of them is performing whatever role they've been assigned within the, this five-man mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hadn't seen that, as you point out, from Jake. But it makes sense to me that he is struggling with being a leader in this situation, that it's very difficult for him to be the one making these decisions, especially when there doesn't seem to be a correct decision to make. Right. Yeah. Which often happens, especially in this book. There's a lot of times when it's just incredibly difficult to know what the best sequence is. Everything is happening very quickly. Mm-hmm. He is 13 years old. And I think he does his best in that situation. I will say it. one thing that very much annoyed me about his particular leadership style is he is aware when he is having a specific intuition Mm -hmm. and he ignores it every single time (laughs) until the end when he realizes what it was but throughout the whole thing it's like I don't know something seemed a little weird but ah, I'm sure it'll be fine and I just want to be like I understand everything is happening very quickly I get it I'm I'm trying to be very you know sympathetic to your situation but um take a breath Mm -hmm. and maybe lean into that feeling ask what he isn't saying have that second of conversation with your friends to find out what's really going on right and then take the next step and i know that's very hard to do in the heat of the moment well yeah he has this kind of immature view of how a leader should be a little bit and like Mm -hmm. part of this book is like learning that lesson right but 
there's a couple things like he feels all of this pressure to be in this role so he never mm-hmm. asks for help and he doesn't say hey I'm having these weird visions which you could totally <laughs> bring up in like a I'm not going crazy kind of way right <laughs> but he's super sensitive about showing any kind of weakness or whatever mm-hmm. and for a little bit of good reason because at some point he snaps and is like I didn't ask for this you guys made me the leader and it sucks and you know Marco gets really upset and he's like you can't lose it man like you're all we've got Right, mm-hmm. so there's a reason that that pressure exists, but you know he's not he hasn't found the right way to um, ask for help and communicate with his team. And I wonder if a little bit of the the bad decisions, like he is, you know, I think he is doing his best in a lot of ways. But I wonder if there's a part of him that's like self sabotaging a little bit. Mm. There's there's a part where he says, "I know it sounds weird, but I was actually mad at Axe for not seeing what an idiot I've been." I wanted someone just to say, Jake, you've blown it, man. You're not the leader anymore. And I think that's that's sort of a fleeting thing and underlies like the pressure he's feeling. But I wonder if that's coming out in any of his decisions, if he's like, if there's like a little part of him that's like, maybe if I make the wrong decision, I won't have to be the leader anymore. Oh, like, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think he's... The example I was going to point to, I think he's just being like way too hard on himself. So he does this thing where he's risking people, sending them off on solo missions. They're getting separated from the group, getting in trouble. He thinks they're going to die. It happens with Tobias. It happens with Axe. It happens with Rachel. But with the uh, the Rachel thing, it's really interesting. First, what happens is Axe goes back to disable the bug fighter so that the Animorphs have some time to figure out their strategy. And then Axe is getting chased by a bunch of hork mm-hmm. and. Jake and the other Animorphs are fleeing and basically Tobias first calls him out and it's like Axe is in trouble you happy now Jake which is yeah. like interesting sass really? from Tobias wow. yeah. um, but now that they're, now they're, of character. Now they're shorms I don't know you know. <laughs> Good point. Uh, but Jake does this thing where he sees that Rachel is going to go back and rescue Axe mm. that she's not going to listen to him and so he actually makes the what I think is an incredible decision he doesn't fight her he doesn't mm-hmm. say get in line Rachel and do what I say he makes a decision to cover for the fact that she's not going along with his plan. It's like, okay, Rachel and I will stay back. The rest of you keep going. It's fine if we split up, which I think is a really good way. It's actually, it shows good leadership skills and taking control yeah. of the situation. And then he tells Rachel to wait for him and she says, catch up when you can because she morphs faster <laughs> than he does. And then he, he just starts blaming himself for Rachel getting separated and him putting Rachel <laughs> in trouble and stuff. But in that situation, I think, you know, Maybe the stuff he's doing isn't the right call, but I think he's actually showing a lot of skills at the same time that he's doubting himself. We do see something that I think we've seen already, like part of his leadership skill is his ability to read all of them. Like he's mm-hmm. like, oh, Rachel had you know just been through this traumatic experience. It was going to make her aggressive, maybe too aggressive. And you can see him just making this mental note, like watch out for this. Like this is a, a thing you're going to have to take into account. Right. Which is interesting because there's actually a point where um, Cass, where he's talking about Cassie and that one of the things that she does well, and we've seen this many times, um, is that she's very good at the emotional part of that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the two of them both have that appreciation for what the other people in the group are going through, but for mm-hmm. for... Jake, it's very tactical. Mm-hmm. For Cassie, it's very much more the emotional part of it. Um, and in in fact, Jake actually calls that out and says, uh, Cassie is so good at fixing hurt feelings, better than yeah. me, that's for sure. And I think that's 
really a, a nice pairing of the two of them that he mm-hmm. recognizes what people are going to do and she recognizes how they're feeling about it. Mm. And that is something that we've seen him deploy tactically. Like in book eight, we were saying that probably Jake was like, okay, Cassie, Axe is probably lonely. Maybe you want to, you know, invite him in. <laughs> right. And then in book nine, when he gets mad at Cassie for almost getting trapped as a skunk, he doesn't address her emotional needs first. He addresses yeah. the, the tactical needs of the group first. It's mm, a really good yeah. point. Yeah. And she addresses his emotional needs. Like we also talked about, like she has this whole talk, like speech to him about how, you know, you're just like Polo, the leader of this indigenous, these indigenous people. Um, we're like, you're both leaders. You know, he took a risk in putting down his spear. Um, he had no way of knowing. We weren't about to kill him. You know, that's what being a leader is. You make the best decision you can. You don't necessarily know. It's all we can ask of you. And and he, like, takes her hand in the darkness, and it's really cute. I love yeah. that scene. And, yeah, she's like, I can tell you're mad. I know you're not mad at us, so you're mad at yourself. <laughs> and then... She's so good. Right. But then, and then, the, but then Jake is like, he will accept her hand, but then he's like, everything will work out. I lied. <laughs> Which is he still has to put up real. this strong front, yeah. <laughs> but then uh, she says the thing to him about being the same as the leader, and he feels for her hand and says, I'm just so tired. Mm. Cassie laid her head on my yeah. shoulder. I know, Jake. Rest. Just rest. So I think he does kind of allow her to comfort him yeah. in that scene, and it's very sweet, and I love them. I was thinking this whole thing. So this didn't really happen, right? This whole uh-huh. past in oh, the yeah. rainforest. It's basically like a leadership simulation, like exactly. a, a training exercise <laughs> That's why for it's Jake. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Where he gets to like make all these mistakes and like learn some lessons about what right. it means to be a leader. And see, this, no one is, actually this for me is the saving grace of the book. Yeah. That you get to see how you get to see again what the stakes are for the animorphs because this could happen any week, right? This could happen yeah. any mission. He's not actually making worse decisions no. than he normally makes, right? And so he by... cites like going into the Safeway as a bad decision. Like, no, of course you're going to go investigate all these controllers right. standing in a grocery store. And That's they not almost, a bad decision. They almost blew the whole thing wide open, right? We yeah. haven't really talked about how crazy that you know <laughs> escape from the grocery store is, but they almost end the war, and they almost. They almost all die because of his leadership stuff, but he gets a chance to do it over, and he mm-hmm. goes home. And the lesson he learns is that good leaders are lucky. Yeah, that's, that's the, a really interesting lesson. That's the moral of the book, and it's brilliant. It's like the most <laughs> anamorph leadership lesson of all time. And it's like, you know that because these books just keep going, you know, they're, get, they're going to keep getting lucky in this way, right? Yeah. But it, it's so amazing that they found a way to kind of point out how arbitrary it all is. It yeah. is all very arbitrary. That is also a terrible lesson to get <laughs> from all of this. Because, Jake, yes, you did get lucky. And by all means, keep hoping that you will continue to get lucky. But hope is not a plan. So maybe also things you could learn from this is leaders listen to their intuition. They, <laughs> they communicate with their team. Mm-hmm. They ask the right questions. They have team meetings. There, there are many things you could learn from this book that are not, boy, I hope we get lucky again next time. I don't think that was it. I think it was more like, don't beat yourself up if we don't get lucky because the only difference between you and a leader who succeeded was that, you know, they got lucky. One, I think that Prince Alfengor, while certainly a delightful character, <laughs> is maybe not the model of leadership that we really want to take away from these books. But also, like, you can have different lessons, not least because... If the plan is, you know, great leaders get lucky sometimes, 
the time when you don't get lucky, you and all your friends are going to die. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he's very aware. <laughs> which which is good, but I again, I think so maybe you're 13, I'm not suggesting go get an MBA, but I mm-hmm. am suggesting take a second to meditate on the other yeah. things one can I think I think it's both. I think it's yes. like you have to learn it's a leadership simulation. He's he's getting better. He's not going to make the same mistakes again. But I also think it's like the attitude can't be beat yourself up. The right. attitude is right. Well, this is terrible, and probably we're all going to die one day, but I'm going to keep doing I can't have I can. it all on my shoulders. Right. I made the best decision I could. Yeah, fair enough. I think you were going to talk about the dumb plan at the beginning of this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about their plan where uh, they're going to steal the bug fighter and fly it and land it on the roof of the White House, which is audacious. We haven't seen them plan at this level. Mostly it's been like, oh, let's take down this thing that the Yerks are doing as opposed to like, let's blow this thing wide open. I was skeptical that even if they succeeded, it would work. Very reasonably, you were skeptical. Yeah, I maybe it's like living in this era of fake news has jaded me. I don't know. I just don't think people would have believed it. What do you think would have happened? Ooh, interesting. That would be, okay, I think we should write that fan fiction also, uh, where they land on the roof of the White House and, like, get surrounded by Secret Service and, like you know, get detained, and they're like, no, look, we can turn into animals, and they start turning into animals, and maybe they get to, like, meet with the president, and presumably the president is not a controller yet. Correct. But because, like, I mean, the Yerks are based out in California. They had this plan to infest the governor who was going to run for president. Like, probably they haven't infested Exactly. a lot of people in the White House. There probably are a couple of controllers involved, or they're going to get controllers up there. We would find out who in the high-ranking, who, like, high-ranking government, like, is a controller. And uh, and maybe things would go badly. I think things would go badly, but I think it would make a really good season of 24, right? Where, like, Jack Bauer is, like, dispatched to take out, like, Chapman and all the Yerks or whatever. But he's got his whole (laughs) network of people. But then, Mm -hmm. obviously, they they underestimate the Yerks, and some of them become controllers, and that's who can you trust. Some of them already were controllers. Right, right. Who's the secret traitor on the inside? Yeah. Um, I'd watch the heck out of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the spinoff where they actually right. managed to It fly. wouldn't have ended the war, but it would have created an open war, probably. Yes. Right. And so in like, fact, they're and very they, ill-equipped for an open war. The Yerks or the, the government? <laughs> <laughs> the government. Like, yeah. just people knowing about it would probably make the Yerks speed up their invasion. Right. Because they wouldn't have to be stealthy anymore. The secret's out. Like, even if they're successful at getting people to know about it, like... But how are people going to deal with this? Right. It is a very bad plan. Yeah. They didn't really think it through. For lots of reasons. It's a terrible <laughs> plan. I mean, I think in the 90s, you'd be less likely to have people digitally manipulating the footage. Right. So I guess the footage would be more believable just yeah. because the CGI and wouldn't be as good. There are other things that go wrong almost immediately. Like, they almost get shot down by F-16s, right? So <laughs> even for that reason alone, it was a really bad plan. I really a, enjoyed a that scene. <laughs> like, ah, oh, bogey is out of here. <laughs> it's all very funny. I also would like to point out that, well, so they get into the bug fighter and they're trying to figure out how, how to deal with it, how to fly it, and how to shoot from it. Um, I have a question uh, that comes up, and it is that one of them says, I have fewer hands than taxons. How many yeah, hands do taxons have? That was my have? question, too. Wait, what? They've got hundreds of hands. No 
all their legs, their spine legs turn into lobster claw hands. They all do? Yeah, they've got... Oh, no. no. No, no, not all the spines, but like, not hundreds, but they probably have like 10 this is, this little is lobster horrifying. claw hands on the I front. thought they had two lobster claw arms. I think, so. I think arms, they have a lot. And it turns oh, out man. that, no, they have more, and I am horrified by that. <laughs> um, also, there's a whole thing about... Uh, other um, aliens and their ability to sit. Mm-hmm. Taxons are like huge centipedes, so they can't really sit, which was good because Axe doesn't sit either. Um, but the weapon station was built for hork Bajir. hork Bajir are seven feet tall and have thick, spiky tails, but they do sit. What do they do with the tails? Do you think there's a hole in the back of the weapons chair for the tails? No, I think they sit on it. It's like a cushion. Oh. Very comfortable. It's not a knife? <laughs> it's like a knife cushion. <laughs> There's our episode title. Like a knife cushion. Write that down. It's crazy. I would like to call out the number of variations on haul we had in this book. Oh my gosh. Okay, so So near, much hauling. Near the beginning, uh, Jake and Marco are leaving school. Tobias is flying over. He says, You guys need to haul it a little faster. What is it? It's what a, is it, Tobias? It's a new variant. <laughs> haul it. Okay, well, later we I get... I assume it's their butts, but it could be anything. Later we get some... Cl- okay, so Marco says later, disgusting, but oh yeah, these things can haul. So that's just the haul without Those are flies. any... Yep. Flies yep. and teen boys can haul. Yep. Okay, but then later, Tobias says, they almost look like they might be kids. They're hauling butt out of here. Okay, so now we found out what you haul. You haul right. your butt. If um, they're not kids, they're probably flies. <laughs> uh, and then... During Cassie's, like, super emotional, determined speech at the end, where she's like, you know, when Jake has just been like, oh, aren't you appreciating the rainforest? Isn't it wonderful? She's like, yes, it is. And the Yurks want to destroy it, and anything else they, can, they can't use on this planet. I'm not going to let that happen. So let's haul butt, find the blade ship, get back where we should be, stay alive to keep fighting, because no one, man or alien, is messing this place up while I'm around to stop them. What a great impassioned speech about hauling butt. It's very good. I will also say that um, you missed one, which is <gasps> when he is a fly and he almost gets hit by a car. Uh-huh. I flew past and over and seriously hauled my little fly butt up oh, and up and up. Oh, wow. That is like the best one. I'm so sorry I missed that. Hauled his little fly butt. I wonder butt. if Tobias <laughs> says haul it because he doesn't have a butt. He has a tail. You could mm. say haul tail. <laughs> hall no, because he says hall butt later. Uh, yeah. It's a t- it, but that's just a fake memory of Tobias. <laughs> that, that's true. Okay, so I was a little bit wondering. I don't think this is valid. But, like, I feel like Axe should be smarter than that. He had this whole thing like, oh, but I've taken the computer out of the bug fighter. They definitely can't fly it. And Jake is like, ugh, Axe, you idiot. We need, they, we need them to fly it because we need them to recreate the Sario Rip so we can all get out of here. And Axe keeps going on about how they can't fly it, and yay, isn't it good? And that's when Jake's like, I just wish he would realize. Like, was Axe kind of dumb because he wasn't really there? I don't think that really makes sense, but I was wondering a little well, bit. Well, it can't be that he's dumb because he's not really there. Because if he were just a memory, yeah. how would Jake's I was like, is he like slightly know? diluted? Right. It doesn't really make it doesn't sense. Make. I do want to say one thing about that, though. He says, they ask him if he can repair it and he was like well I could fix the software of course over the in 20 years <laughs> and so like 
what kind of estimate is that? Is that like a, you know, you double your estimate because you never know what kind of risks yeah, can come up? Yeah, he like, thinks 10 years for this. Right, or, or is it like Andalites are just, this is what they do with their like super alien software is they just like sit in a cave <laughs> for 20 years and that's how, that's how you create a starship fighter. And like, what kind of training program did he go through? Or okay, he is it that he's hasn't, really, he that that he's really dumb and he just like, he's very confident that he can do it, but it's like just a slow and steady wins the race, you know. So I would typing say with like one one of his <laughs> They have very fingers, weak fingers. Right. Um, he also doesn't have a keyboard. I mean so, maybe this is why they have long lifespans, right? <laughs> it takes them so long to write anything. So I would say he was just like estimating a long time. But Andalites are very precise. I feel like they're kind of like Vulcans like that. I feel like 20 years was like, he had calibrated oh, it. Oh, he didn't say 20 of your years. So maybe Andalite years are just years. really short. So it's, he just probably means like a couple weeks. <laughs> All right. That's Brilliant my new theory. Okay, great, great. I really like it. There's a one really great axe sense of humor moment mm-hmm. where they've discovered that they have time traveled. And Jake mm-hmm. says, did we go forward or back? Are we in the past or the future? <laughs> yes, Axe yes, said. It's definitely one of those two choices. <laughs> Thank you, Axe. I wanted to call out, we didn't have a lot of Axe-Marco interaction in this, but when Marco, uh, sorry, when Axe was talking about how he was learning about Saria Rips in school and was distracted, and then Marco's the one who calls him on it. Like, Marco laughed. Axe, are you telling us you were too busy flirting with some girl to pay attention to the lesson? I just, I feel like... Marco just wanted to talk about Axe flirting with people. I also noticed that when Axe is talking about how there are multiple versions of all of them, every time he makes the list of Animorphs, he starts with Marco. And it's not the same list. He's like, yeah, there are two Marcos, two Cassies. And the next time he's like, there are two Marcos, two Rachels. But it always starts with Marco. Wow. Very sweet. Marco does have a moment where he points out that he's uh, he's very excited that Axe has finally been turned into a monkey. <laughs> yes. A cute monkey. Doesn't yes. he call him a hot monkey? Yes, he does. He does call him a hot a hot looking monkey or something. Can I read actually what what Marco says about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Axe is a is a an attractive female monkey. Mm-hmm. That does it, Marco said flatly. We have moved permanently to Bizarro World. We've traveled in time. We're in a jungle fighting brain-stealing aliens and 10,000 annoying species of bugs. And our resident space cadet is a hot-looking monkey. Yep. (laughs) It's delightful. Fantastic. Also, I just want you to imagine for a second, you're a monkey swinging around in the (laughs) I'm imagining it. Great. And you see an attractive-looking female monkey. And, like, lucky you, she has an identical twin, (laughs) attractive-looking female monkey. And suddenly there are these, like, big other animals, like, lumbering around around there. (laughs) And suddenly they all start turning into monkeys, too. And then you just freak out and run away. You've never seen anything like this. It must have been terrible. I love how the monkeys picked up on it. I feel like uh, they're they're intelligent enough to notice. And how much worse is it going to be when that attractive female monkey you've been flirting with all day suddenly turns into a giant (laughs) blue and tan alien with a scorpion tail. If you manage to survive. Then you get shot at by the hard pajer. Yeah. Oh, terrible. (laughs) Monkeys were destroyed. It's the saddest sentence. Oh, it's so sad. So I did did also want to read this exchange between Axe and Marco. I feel like it's just an example of what their conversations are probably always like. Marco saying, Poltergeist, that old movie, don't you remember? The little munchkin lady saying, go into the light, go into the light. What was this light? Axe asked, completely mystified. 
think it was like death or something, Marco said. But hey, I could be wrong. Maybe it was just a big, bright afterlife McDonald's. And like, you can just imagine Axe understanding none of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a thing that like Marco's referencing like this old movie because it's unrealistic that kids in the 90s know this movie. I feel like the authors do this a lot where they reference things that are like slightly older uh-huh. than the 50s fly movie those kids didn't yeah see exactly because they're adults in the 90s they're not 13 year olds in the 90s right. there's also an extended uh, extended passage in which Marco is imitating Picard oh, yes yeah. again not the Star Trek that was happening in the 90s he's really into like the 80s Star Trek and there's you know maybe they really were but it seems reruns yeah unusual to me that they would have um, that much information although a friend recently pointed out to me that the Star Trek that was in syndication mm-hmm. in the 90s would have been the Picard Next Generation and one of the other two, and that the, I think, Cisco one, whichever mm-hmm. one that is, was only available on, like, one channel. Okay, so all right. So if you didn't have that channel, maybe they would have known I it. do feel like... I mean, they're, like, a couple years older than we are, right? The Animorphs. And I feel like people our age, like, know Picard. Like, that's, you know, that's not an unrealistic reference. The monkey acquisition section is uh, also very interesting um, because we learn in perhaps, I think, the first time, although please correct me, I I may be wrong about this, but uh, Jake tells us that it isn't possible to morph, to acquire a morph from a person who has already morphed. Yes. Good Glad knowledge. Glad that, yeah. Is that the first time we learn that? I think it's the first time they say it explicitly. Okay. I don't know yeah. if they tried it before. I, they haven't tried it before because I, it was one of the, the things that I had a question about was, could one of you go to the zoo and get the bear and then everyone touches Rachel right. and you're good? And it turns out you cannot. Uh, in other words, we couldn't just copy Axe's monkey morph. We had to go to an actual monkey, which mm-hmm. is good to know. And Fortunately, then they do, Axe could lure the monkeys. Right. And then they do that interesting thing later with the jaguar, where Jake's yeah. like, boop, Sort of the relay, freeze. relay Right, and then he's like, hey everyone, I'm acquiring this jaguar. Someone else <laughs> needs to come acquire it. And then Axe, you can run away fast, right? And then, you know, and I don't think we've ever seen that sort of like tactical morph trancing. Yeah, we right? have really kind of acquiring to calm You can disable down. Except for in book animal. one with the tiger. Right, right. But you, you can disable a hostile animal, maybe. It, it wasn't necessarily hostile. A, yeah. A neutral to friendly Surprisingly animal. Surprisingly curious and friendly animal. I did really appreciate the jaguar. Um, so it, as they're sleeping, this jaguar comes up to them, and Jake wakes up to see two glowing green eyes six inches away from his face. And the jaguar sticks its nose closer to Jake, <laughs> trying to figure out who he is and what he's doing in yeah. the jaguar's forest. And I have a very large cat who does exactly <laughs> that. And it, all I could think of was a larger version of my cat just, like, <laughs> sticking his face in you. And being like, what are you? Are you food? What exactly is going like, on? Like the cat with Visser 3. Oh, like the yeah. cat with Visser 3. Yeah, it's amazing. Made me happy. Cats are great. They are. I thought we should call out how Marco's ethnicity actually comes into play. He speaks like 50 words of Spanish apparently but those words include spirit and devil which I thought was interesting <laughs> um, yeah it's it's nice we hadn't really had any references so far it is it is a very good scene of kind of mimicking these conversations and trying to figure out between Marco's Spanish and their mimicking abilities <laughs> they figure out a, a 
good communication between themselves and this indigenous group. Although great. I'm pretty sure Axe could have just talked to them in thought speech. You're so right. Right? Because Jake yeah. talks to him in thought speech and later. And Axe could have understood right? everything they said. This is knowledge we don't get until the Andalite Chronicles. But yeah, Axe could have just huh. conducted that conversation. I don't know why he did it. Maybe he thought it was just human business. It was unclear to me uh, when Jake does the thought speech to Polo at the end to throw the spear. Mm-hmm. It was unclear to me whether Polo understands his thought speech or just the general like emphasis of his brain in that. I direction. guess it's ambiguous, but like again, what we learned Given what is we've that, learned, we can thought speech that transcends language. Like Jake wouldn't have known. He was like, oh, I guess he understood somehow, but maybe he actually understood because that's how thought speech works. Or they could have just stayed. They could have like been monkeys and been like, hey, we're like magic monkeys, right? <laughs> but although he wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to understand the humans. I guess that's true. Yeah. I also, I wanted to call out a couple of, like, gender moments. Oh, God, please. There's the stuff with the big fight, which was just, like, could it be any more, like, Stereotypically, like dudes watching the fight, and like they're and he definitely her about getting stuff from they're the definitely like store. calling it out. Like, right. yeah, my mom, my mother came into the living room. Am I even allowed in here? She asked mockingly. When does this room become the temple of male aggression? Not till seven, my dad said. Until then, we will allow females, especially if the females remember to pick up chips on their way home from work. And it's like they're clearly joking about it, but it's not really being subverted. It's just, it's just there. I did like that whole scene in the beginning because instead of a caper, we get that's true. It was just really like fun. normal middle school life. Yeah. There's yeah. no like here's your introduction to morphing story. But where it's was just... that gym teacher? Like Cassie just got pulled into the swing dancing. Like <laughs> she probably wasn't even wearing gym clothes. Yeah. And I I also love it's like it's such a cute moment where like Rachel's making fun of him. He's galumphing around and then <laughs> he pulls Cassie in, which Cassie's is like just cute like for a minute because they're yeah. dancing together. But then she's like, by the way, I have a really serious animal mission data <laughs> to tell you right now. I love the juxtaposition. It's really good. Speaking of school things, we get that other um, glimpse into Axe's school yes. life where he was meant to be learning about um, Mario Rips. And instead, he there's a big game, there's a cute girl, and he didn't think it would be that important, so he kind of just blew all of that off. So yeah, when's it going to happen? Right. And I thought, well, yeah, because if you asked me about, you know, Belgium 1831, there's no way I would be able to give you enough information to survive in mm-hmm, Belgium mm-hmm. 1831. Like, of course, he What if you remember. went through Osario Rip and ended up in Belgium in 1831? I would be really in trouble. Yeah. She'd have a long time before she had to kill herself. <laughs> you probably wouldn't even uh, run into that problem. You'd have other problems. Was that what's going to, when they do Megamorphs 2 and they go back into the time of the dinosaurs, are they going to have millions of years to figure it out? Yes, they, they will live for millions of years, and but then I'll die when it hits, you know, 1997 again. Worth it. So. I'm really excited <laughs> to revisit Sorry Rips if they ever come up again, which they may not. We've already had two types of time travel. Who says That's we true. can't have more? 15 types of time travel. We are time travelers, it's true. Jenny's an android. <laughs> Stop telling people that, Ted. Try to keep it under wraps. Too late. So I did think that there were some fun '90s moments in this. Please, yes, please. Uh, I I really liked the reference to Michael Jordan and Christy Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a real like Michael Jordan still a really common reference. You don't hear that many Christy Yamaguchi references these days. Nope. 
Do not. And right after that, he talks about drinking Mountain Dew and eating ringdings. <laughs> also don't hear much about that. You had the marvel of the computer that was the size of a diskette. <laughs> that was like a two for one. Like you right. get the amazement that the computer can be small and then also a diskette. And then the amazing anachronism of Axe's brag being like Andalite technology would make it three times smaller. <laughs> Though I don't know how what size a computer would be for like flying a spaceship. Like obviously like I'm holding this computer in my hand that is very small, but there was a reference to um, email, how email works, and they did capital E hyphen mail. Wow. Because, you know, that's how we write it. Also, you could tell it was the 90s because no one made a joke about Amazon. That's right. They were in the Amazon. Not a single joke. 90s. Uh, there was also the, uh, when they watch the fight, he uh-huh. has paid $40 to see it on pay-per-view, but then he's recording it onto a video cassette. Yeah. So Jake grabs the video cassette when they're done and runs off to Marco's house. To- Today you would just pirate it. Exactly. So my last very silly thing is that at one point Jake says, this is a spur-of-the-moment plan thought up by a guy who is having jungle hallucinations. <laughs> I love that line. And I would like to claim that as my rock band name, Jungle Hallucinations. <laughs> You've got the it. name of my rock you band. you got it. Can we be in your rock so- band? This is, I think, actually an excellent transition to Taxons in the Jungle, which, as Jake points out, fit right in. He's like, uh, you get the most bare bones, like, minimal description of a taxon that we've ever gotten, where it's just like, yeah, yeah I they're, these, they were there. they're these giant bugs with, like, jelly eyes and lobster claws. They're, they're crappy, but, you know, in the rainforest, in the context of all this other horrible stuff, they fit right in. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? He's not, he's not wrong. If yeah. I ran into a taxon, I would be horrified, but not surprised. Huge cannibalistic centipedes. They are doing the repair on the ship while the hork mm, are out. I see. The subtle work. Yes, the subtle work. This book also lets Visser 3 win in a really <gasps> awesome way because yeah. they always get the better of him. But finally, he has an amazing, terrifying morph where yeah. he can pick up all the animorphs and leave them inside his evil mouth alive while he mm-hmm. like slowly rounds them up. And it's great. He like well, he totally. Great, I like, mean, actually, I guess he gets poisoned to death at the last mm, minute or whatever. True. But at least he gets them to a draw instead of being like he does kill Jake yeah. and covered in prune juice. For, yeah, because he has you know, to still weeks. seem intimidating. We can't have like the villain decay of like, oh, Visitor Three, scariest creature in the universe. Yeah, we beat right, him with the right. skunk. And yeah. like his whole plan is like such an obvious trap. It's actually kind of like a Visitor Three level stupid trap. Mm-hmm. But the animorphs finally fall for it. They're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yes, that's true. I'm going to read this line, even though we'll probably cut it, because it's not related to anything. Oh, man, Marco groaned. I hate it when you try to sound peppy, Jake. It always means you're worried. Next, you'll flash that big no-sweat grin. I know you. Three hours to fly time, I said, forcing up a big, confident grin. I love or that. dead meat, Marco said. It's so good. <laughs> also, I think yeah. shortly before or after that, Jake says, it was going to rain, and I hate rain. <laughs> Very what, frustrating. What a grumpy team. You are not going to enjoy the rainforest. <laughs> Foreshadowing, look at that. Mm-hmm. Is that all we have to say about... That might be all we have to say. Number one in the forgotten. Let's revisit that question. Who are the forgotten? The memories? Is that what we decided? <laughs> the events are the forgotten. Yeah. It's, it's all it's The all friends we made along the way. <laughs> it's the everyone forgot except for Jake and possibly Visser 3. I'm leaving that possibility alive. I like it. Ooh, you have the now you have the old book with the picture inside. Look, I do, so I got that rainbow. Have you ever seen those before? Those uh... Uh, I've seen, I think one. Yeah, you had eight. Um, 
They're some good. They, they're actually pretty spoilery, so I think it's good that we don't usually have them. They're yeah. very beautiful. Um, the the cover has a cutaway in which you see in this one the jungle with the jaguar walking through it and a monkey in a tree, and it's very cool. Um, it also has definitely a spoiler because there's a little. Um, oh yeah, an excerpt. Yeah, an excerpt in the front, which I think is interesting, yeah, and. Uh, the greatest thing about these continues to be the book morphs and where it's the flip book in the corner. Um, so amazing. And what I was paying attention to this time was that uh, there are some spots in the middle of the morph where, just like on the cover, the single image in the corner is real bad. (laughs) This cover is not that bad, though. Like, I was looking, I was like, none of the images are particularly horrifying. The second one's not, not wonderful, but... They're mostly fine. It's usually the second one that's real bad, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he's like starting to get. It's it the to uncanny people. valley where it's like not quite human. It's, yeah, you know, it's and rough. he still looks real grumpy. So you want to look up number twelve, I the do. reaction? Thank you. I will. Oh dear. <laughs> so you can't see this, but it says the reaction. Thank you. What does the tiny text say? Trust no one. Huh. Okay. Well, that tells you something new. Um. Okay. So. It's a Rachel book again. Rachel is morphing it into, okay, I do know the difference between an alligator and a crocodile, but mostly the thing I know is you just run away. So I'm <laughs> thinking this is an alligator. Wait, okay, which we'll one find do you run away from? Both of them. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm thinking it's an alligator. Here again, that the second and third pictures are really, truly Ooh, yeah. horrendous. Those are bad. I don't like them at all. Look at her little tail. <laughs> Look at her face. Ugh. This is all very bad. Okay, so the reaction. Where would she get an alligator? Okay, so I guess they've got to go back to the zoo to get the alligator. And the reason that they need an alligator morph is because they are visiting a swamp uh, in this one. And the reaction is one of them is going to have an allergic reaction to a mosquito in the swamp and they're going to have to deal with one of them in anaphylaxis as well as whatever else is happening with the aliens. (laughs) Right, this is very alarming. Listen, the thing is, I've been trying to go with, in my guesses, things that might happen. Uh And I've been universally incorrect because I don't go crazy enough. So I've decided (laughs) to just go as crazy as I can think of. So the allergic reaction to the mosquito is the craziest reaction you can think of? No, but I'm just going to go with it. Okay. All right. That or there's a nuclear reactor that they have to like shut down in their alligator morphs. And they're going to be alligators because those things can survive anything just like cockroaches. Wow. Okay. All right. Follow-up question. What 90s teen celebrity analog exists in this book? (laughs) I'm glad you waited until after her other predictions to ask that. Okay. In the one that we just read, in The Forgotten, uh, Marco compares Rachel to Malibu Barbie. So in the reaction, uh, it's going to be Christina Aguilera. Nice. Okay. I like it. Sounds good. Excited to read this one. Next time on Animorphology The Reaction. If you want to find us, we are at animorphology.com and at animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. It's <laughs> Animorphs time. <laughs>